0: I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadundi and Bububun people of Wudichup in the Southwest Bujara region in Noongar Bujar, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging hey there my name is cam fraser welcome to the men sex and pleasure podcast this is episode number 123 we're talking all things masculinity sexuality male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure and today i have the pleasure of chatting with carla Cravaro. Carla is a trauma-informed and certified sex, love, and relationship coach. She works with men who experience sexual dysfunction and a lack of sexual desire after being present for the birth of their child. She also works with men who miss intimacy with their partner and feel disconnected from them since becoming a father. And you can find Carla and her work at her website, which is carlacravaro.com. That's C-A-R-L-A for Carla and C-R-I-V-A-R-O for Cravaro. And she's also on Instagram and you can find her at the.sexuality.sanctuary. The two of us talk in this episode about what Carla has dubbed the forgotten father phenomenon. And we discuss the ways in which men struggle with fatherhood and how their in a child and childhood wounding can impact their relationships with their partners. We talk about testosterone and trauma, uh, changing in desire, uh, as well as like uh, parental or, or parenting responses uh, and how these really come from a, a place of uh, childhood wounding uh, and how to maybe overcome some of that. So uh, it was very, uh, close to home for me. Uh, Carla was sharing about these, uh, you know, inner child responses as fathers. And uh, I was saying that I cycle through, uh, all of them pretty much. Uh, so it was very, um, very personal and, uh, and I, uh, learned a lot. There was a lot of really valuable takeaways for me in this episode. So if this is something that you're interested in listening to, then, uh, by all means, keep listening. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> Wet dreams are a perfectly normal body function, which is nature's way of getting rid of stored-up sperm. I wonder what makes everybody think that they have to go all the way to intercourse to make it legitimate every time.
1: Let me tell you, young lady, and I can talk to you as a father. It burns me up to think some young punk will try to make a girl go all the way just to prove he's a man.
0: Carla, the way that I like to start is with an invitation. It's an open invitation for you to share a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and what you're really passionate about. So, that's my open invitation to you for the next few minutes. I'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah. So, um, my full name, Carla Kruvaro. Um, I'm a sex, love and relationship coach um, and my training was trauma-informed. So what that means is that even though I don't necessarily specifically work with people who need to process trauma, it does mean that I am able to recognize if people have experienced it. It means the language that I use in my um, coaching is also um, supportive for people that may have experienced trauma because sometimes people can experience it. Um, and not necessarily be aware that they've experienced trauma. So I just wanted to to make your listeners aware of of what that means. Um, And I work um, a lot with men, and I have found this phenomenon with regards to fathers. And I have called it the forgotten father. Um, And a lot of it is men who either during pregnancy, during um, the birth itself, or going into fatherhood, Um, experience either trauma or um, experience um, a lot of problems with regards to how they feel about becoming a father. So and a lot of that is related to inner child work that we tend to explore in the coaching sessions. Um, So I'll work either independently one-on-one with the father himself, or what I will do is um, if there is significant trauma there, I tend to recommend that they speak to and work with a somatic experiencing practitioner to, to work through and process that that trauma that might not have been healed or processed. So um so yeah, yeah so I can either work individually or alongside somebody who um who works specifically with trauma in the
0: body. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and you didn't necessarily answer this. Maybe I could I, I could assume, but I don't want to, is, uh, what is what is your passions? Like, what are you passionate about? I, I presume you're passionate about this work, but I, I, like I said, I don't want to put those words in your mouth.
1: Yeah. So, and I'll be honest, when I first started doing this, um, I was looking at a lot more at the mother and son dynamic that happens in relationships because um, my husband and I, we were in that dynamic. And the changes that I made to myself and my own self-development meant that, you know, that dynamic in our relationship began to change as well. So, yeah, so how we interact as human beings, I'm really, really passionate about. So, you know, if you look at like my bookcase, it's all about neurobiology and trauma and, you know, love languages and Yeah. So how we communicate with ourselves, how we communicate with our partners and how we communicate with the world at large, I just find really, really fascinating and interesting. So it was initially looking at that mother and son dynamic that was that was the thing that interested me the most. And initially I wanted to work with women because I knew how women could change that dynamic by um, making certain changes like boundaries Um, asking for what they wanted and their expectations as well within a relationship because we tend to assume that the man knows what we need. Um, So I went in initially looking at that side of things Um, and I wrote a little bit as well about um, what men might be feeling and experiencing and I had that on my website and in fact, I found that, you know, I think men possibly need more access to support around that um, than potentially... Um, women do so that's where my passion lies now is in supporting men and also really promoting this Um, you know because when you look on the internet there isn't really a lot of information out there people talk about mental health like anxiety and depression Um, and sometimes men aren't necessarily anxious and depressed they just you know feel a little bit sorry for themselves and feel you know, a little bit sidelined and maybe not good enough, but they're not necessarily de- displaying symptoms of anxiety and depression. And because they feel like that, they feel guilty and they feel shame because, you know, my partner's the one that went through it all, you know, the kind of the baby and and, and the birth itself. So they can have a lot of um, mixed emotions. So, so I'm really passionate about promoting that so, um, thank you, Cam, for letting me come on to to promote it and speak to the men directly. Um, one of the things I've been working to do is speak to the mothers as well. So, I've spent quite a lot of time on podcasting, Facebook groups around at mothers, just so that they can have a little bit more compassion as well to the to the men in their lives and understand that they potentially are also struggling with the transition to into fatherhood and and everything that comes with it. So that yeah, professionally, what excites me and what interests me.
0: Oh, beautiful. Um, Something that just came to mind that I wanted to just ask about, because I I haven't spoken to a lot of mothers, you know, I haven't been part of those kind of mother groups. um, But I'm wondering, is there receptivity to what it is that you're sharing with them about like their male partners and their husbands or their non-birthing partners and, or is there like some resistance? And, like fuck, who cares about those guys? Like, you know, we're the ones that went through it. Like w- what's the, what's the reception I'm wondering?
1: Well, as a woman speaking about it, as a mother who's had children and you know, who is married and has gone through the dynamic, I think a lot of women find it easier to listen to, to, listen to me because I am not invalidating their experiences as women. And also, I talk about the behavior that they see from men. And when I start to go through the list of, you know, behavior of the forgotten father, they go, oh, hang on a minute. So he's just not trying to be difficult and hard work and trying to make my life more complicated. It's actually because he's feeling something and he's not talking to me about it. So, so far, I've had, um, yeah, a great reception, especially um, like midwives and doulas really, really get it. Um, And I've had lots of um, interest from midwives and doulas wanting to get this information out to 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 the mothers that they work with. And I think it's important to remember, especially if there are any mothers listening, it's not about you taking on the responsibility of the father. Like they need to be responsible for their own emotions, but just understanding that their behavior isn't personal against you. It's not personal against the the baby. And it just gives you the opportunity as a mother to just be a little bit more empathetic to to their situation. Um, And, you know, if they need to talk about how they feel, maybe be there and hold space. If you yourself are not in a place to do that, then guiding them to places where they can speak to about how they feel and explore their emotions. So... You know, in the UK, there are various different um, organizations that support men. There's um, a couple that sort of support fathers, sort of a bit more like private organizations, that say, but, you know, you can access that support to talk. And sometimes just talking itself helps, you know, helps move and process things through and just to be feel, just just to be seen and heard.
0: Mm, I think that's like a really important uh, point to emphasize is like, it's not about, these mothers um, and you know, new mothers for the most part, I would imagine as well, um, burdening themselves with like his issues, right? It's more like raising awareness about, hey, he's probably going through this and it's not your responsibility to take that on, but it's you know an awareness piece, I suppose. Does that like distinction make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I would totally agree with that. And I d- there was something that you just said that and that I'd actually like to um, refer to and, and come to. So you said mostly new fathers. Actually, you'd be surprised because, um, and this is part of the work that I'm trying to do now, I'm finding that the men that tend to come to me are the children a little bit older and they're actually on the brink of divorce.
0: Oh, wow. So they've yeah. been
1: going through this. Yeah, they've been going through this for quite a long time. Um. And, you know, just gone even more and more and more into their shell. Um, So my goal is now having seen sort of this pattern of brink of divorce, you know, they tend to be um, children tend to be like at least 10 years old around that age, maybe a little bit older. So one gentleman, his um, child, I think about 14, 15. So they tend to be a bit older. So they've been in this situation for a long, 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 long time. And obviously, you know, the distance that's being created between them is quite significant, you know, because, and I speak to men that um, haven't had sex with their partner, any type of sex, you know, because I know a lot of people tend to think of sex as in penis and vagina, but any type for like seven years, nine years, which is, you know, a, a long time. And as you know yourself, can working with men, Men access intimacy through sex because, you know, of the conditioning that they've received when they were younger, not to um, not to speak about their feelings, not to have intimate relationships with well with anybody really, except maybe somebody that they're in a relationship with. So, you know, when the baby comes along and the mother's quite occupied with the child, that access to intimacy that they used to have, they don't have anymore. So um, or quite to the same level. So the feeling of isolation, rejection as well, because you know the the mother tends to reject the advances that, that that the partner makes, and quite often that's you know speaking from my own experience as well. It's just because you feel so touched out. You're holding a baby all the time, and then as they grow up, you're constantly being pulled, and you know, and then your husband comes, and and you know wants wants his um, access to your body, and as well, it just feels overwhelming really overwhelming so it's navigating being able to communicate your needs um and um being able to receive as well um a no if 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 that's what you um if it you know if 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 the other person isn't able to ne- to negotiate or to to work around a, a potential okay well let's do it another day then just to accept that no and take that no as it's not about me it's about where they are in and, and the situation that they're feeling at the moment
0: yeah, yeah there's there's two two things that I definitely want to circle back to there which is um versus like men initiating sex like how are they going about it is it you know cuz are they going about it the same way they would have like pre pregnancy and pre birth and pre you know children and um maybe not being very tactful about it being like more like uh direct and, and to like the, you know, to the point when it comes to penetration, that's what they're kind of looking for. And, they, and they're and they not maybe being so empathetic or maybe understanding or being aware of like how slow they might need to go or the change. And and I'm speaking here from kind of personal experience. And I, I definitely want to share about that is like the way that, um, intimacy and physical touch between my partner and myself has shifted now that, um, we've got, uh, well, he's just turned one, actually our little son. Um, so like, you know, that feeling of being touched out for her, like I've got to now, you know, be mindful of, okay, I'm not going to just dive in and start grabbing at her. You know, I'm going to, um, be a bit more mindful of taking it slowly. Let's build up some, some sensitivity to touch. Cause that feeling of touched out is, you know at least um from speaking to my partner her experience is just like numbness so even if i am touching her she's like i don't really feel anything doesn't really means nothing to me right now because the touch doesn't actually elicit a response so it's like okay well let's slow down and let's build back up again i um, mean that takes a little bit of time and um and so i wanted to circle back around to that um at a later point and then something else um that i've just forgotten was um No, it'll come to me, I'm sure. Uh, But what I wanted to, uh, uh, before we circle around to that, something that I was um, curious about was you've mentioned um, like trauma-informed work and then like identifying, you know, uh, when maybe trauma is is bubbling up to the surface and what that might look like and then allowing that to then uh, inform whether or not you refer out to a somatic experiencing uh, practitioner. Uh, But I'm just kind of like wondering what are some of those, signals or what are some of those things that you identify in terms of behavior or in terms of like you know what what people are saying or, or the way they're holding their body like what are some of those signals that you look for to identify trauma or potential trauma
1: okay so remind me that that's the question that you've asked because first of all i want to explain a little bit about what trauma is so and i just when i get in my flow i might um, forget what the original question is so um just because it's really important that um, I make people really aware that are listening that this is a, a physical response of the body, so it has nothing at all to do with whether they're a nice person or not, what their what their body experiences. It's, it's an automatic reaction. Okay, so taking you know people into the the, the birthing room, so whether that's a cesarean section, whether it's a um, vaginal birth, whatever it might be, what a lot of men tend to experience is they stood there. Feet locked to the floor, heart pounding. They are watching their partner normally in pain, distress, unable to do anything. The doctors almost sort of don't even acknowledge that the father's there in most instances. If there is a doula, she tends to be supporting the mother. I remember when I had a doula, you know, her priority was always me, um, which at the time, I thought it was great. And now, obviously, with the work that I do, I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe doulas should be adapting their work slightly. But, okay, I um, digress. So, um, so yeah, so, that, so they're there. They're physically watching everything. They would like to help. They are unable to help. And, you know, bearing in mind that, When men tend to um, be in a situation of difficulty or stress, they want to try and fix things. Um, You know, a, a lot of men can struggle to be able to listen and to hold space when people need to talk about things. They find that they need to, let's problem solve it, let's work through a solution. So they're in a situation where they're not able to respond in that way. So they're watching everything happening in front of them. And all of this scene that's happening and all of these feelings and these emotions that they're experiencing are traveling throughout their body. And automatically, you know, what the nervous system is doing is the nervous system is putting the body in either a fight or flight response or potentially a freeze response. The reason that it's doing that, so if we look sort of um, like Take ourselves back a few thousand years when we would have um had predators. So let's imagine a tiger, Peter Levine, you know, in his book says it calls it waking the tiger. So um, you know, if you need to run away from a tiger that's a potential danger to you, your body needs to get into a sympathetic state and run. Or maybe, you know, if it's something that you can fight against, that you fight against it. Okay. And if you're able to actually carry that out and do that, a lot of that energy and a lot of that trauma, so that being able to run away or being able to fight is actually released because you your body has been able to actually put into action the energy that it's needed to work through. So the cycle, in, in essence, has in a way completed. What can happen is because men are in that state where they aren't able to, to do anything, so they're experienced fight and flight, but they can't do, it. basically they're keeping themselves in, sort of like an immobilized state. So if we use the example that Peter Levine uses of the impala and the lion, the lion catches the impala, the impala um, goes into um, an, an immobilized state, it shuts down to avoid feeling any pain. If the lion at any moment gets distracted, the impala not wakes up because it's, it doesn't go to sleep, but you know, becomes conscious in a way that it's able to run off. What the Impala then does is it has a really really good shake, because while it was immobilized, it was in a stress response. But that stress wasn't being released because the the body was also keeping it immobilized. So that stress needs to be released. So it runs off and then has a really really good shake and releases that trauma.
0: Mm. Is that um just just a butt in there? Sorry, Carla. Is that a neurogenic tremor? Is that from like David Busselli's like um. Like NRT as well. Is like, is that, is there a correlation between there?
1: I don't know, David Buscelli and NRT. Can you explain a bit about that? Cam?
0: Um, the the reason why I bring that up is because it's a very similar story that he shares. I feel, I feel like it's it's almost the the same story, and maybe he's he's getting his work from um, Peter Levine. But um, yeah, this idea of like when you are um, or you know the impala or the, the the deer runs away and then you know escapes the clutches of death and right needs to process or release that, that tension or that trauma in its body. It has a, it has that shake as you are talking about um, the, the language that David Baselli uses for describing that shaking is um, tremoring and it's a neurogenic response. So it's um, you know, nervous system and, um, and uh, activating the brain as well. And so the idea is that we, uh, have access to that as um, humans. We have access to neurogenic tremors. We can do those. Um, it's just a matter of like learning how to do them. And so his NRT um, neurogenic tremors. I think um, he has this whole like practice of like okay, fatiguing the muscles and um, you know similar to running away, like the muscles fatigue uh, and then you know entering a, a, a neurogenic response uh, where the the kind of legs start shaking and. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating kind of modality, something I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with and I've done a bit of work with it, but um, it sounds very similar to to this idea of um, Peter Levine and, and you know, having to release that tension from the body. It's essentially what David Buscelli is talking about. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a Plug for my online men's course it's called outperform a porn star it goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure oriented we talk about communicating with your partner being a sexual leader and all of this amazing stuff So, if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode.
1: Um, So, thanks um, for sharing that, Cam. So, that particular person and that way of describing it, how did you, what term was it? Neuro? Uh,
0: Neurogenic tremors.
1: New neurogenic tremors. I'll, I'll take a look at that later. I've not heard specifically that person's work, but what I do know is that a lot of people that work in the field of trauma do tend to take their work from Stephen Porges' work of the polyvagal theory. So I, I imagine one of the reasons why, um you know, the person you just talked about has similar ways of explaining things is because, you know, the source is, is more or less the same. So, um, so, yes, yeah, so referring back to, you know, that impaler and that goes for the good shape, you know, the, the man that's in the birthing room, um, you know, is in that complete state of feeling frozen, but also the need to, to, to run or to do something. Um, so what can happen is, you know, the baby's born, everybody's happy, you know, the adrenaline sort of like lowers. Um, you know we're taking that time to get to know the baby and over the next few days all of that energy is still somehow locked in the body and not had the opportunity to release um, you know because it's just not something that we encourage people in society to go and, and work through things either physically or to maybe get support to talk about it and you know some of the ways to recover from trauma are to allow our bodies to actually express what it, they've experienced and also access to um to hugs and to being cuddled and obviously when the baby's just arrived the man isn't going to have access to to that connection because you know immediately the focus is the baby so that need to have that hug and to feel safe again in the man's ob- um, body to to you know co-regulate he doesn't have that opportunity so quite often um the 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 stress of the the experience remains trapped in there and the way that you know that can um, manifest itself it it really changes depending on how long the trauma stays in the body so you know it can be things like irritability nervousness sense of anxiety it can be things like intrusive thoughts it can be phobias um it can be um Things like depression, so maybe they completely shut down. Um, inability to make decisions, so really sort of um, like in, in the freeze response, they're not able to, to to rationally think for themselves because their body's still in a heightened state. So those are just some ways. I mean, there is a, a really long list I could go through, but I think quite often when you start to speak to someone, you get an idea of how they related to that experience. So if there was something particularly traumatic that was happening so say for example a cesarean section and the man is saying you know it was fine it was okay it didn't worry me at all that would also be a sign for me that potentially it's something that they've not processed you know denying the fact that they that they found it difficult because quite often we try and, and avoid emotions that are too difficult to actually connect to we want to dissociate from them so that in itself, not wanting to talk about it or dismissing it or being in denial would also trigger in me, oh, hang on a minute, you know, maybe this person's got something that they need to process that they didn't actually get the opportunity to, to do so. Um, and as I said you know, at the beginning, um, I'm aware of the symptoms of trauma. So at that point, you know, I would probably suggest for extra support that they seek um, a somatic experiencing practitioner specifically to work through the body and depending on the situation you know allow them to have one or two sessions with the somatic experience experiencing practitioner to make sure that they've got the right person so that as we do our coaching and we're looking forward they're still being supportive for anything else that might come up during our coaching sessions so that's that's how um yeah that's that's the explanation of trauma what it might look like and then obviously how somebody can then, Move
0: forward with that yeah thank you for for answering that um, with such depth as well uh, I didn't didn't sound like I had to re uh, remind you of the question so um, that's that was fantastic uh, the one of the things that comes up um, when you share about that um, because this is from my own personal experience is like is lack of desire or is low interest in sex a trauma response per se
1: um I don't feel I'm necessarily specifically able to not being a trauma expert myself um, but you know what I interpret is yes because you know you are associating the the event with the person you're not necessarily cognitively but your body is associating the event with the person or maybe you know if it was a vaginal birth the vulva Also, the baby could potentially be seen by the body as a place of or or a person of of threat because what we've got to remember is it's not a cognitive response. It's not, you know, okay, I don't desire you anymore because of unless a load of reasons. It's something that the body sort of takes that decision away from you. And the thing is, I think for for men that experience that, there's a lot of confusion. Um, There are this sort of aware that they don't have desire for the partner anymore trying to find reasons for that so reasons cognitive reasons as to why that might be maybe they try to project that onto their partner there's something that she's not doing or she could be doing more they might project that onto the baby so you know the fact that it's the baby's presence that has created all of all of all of these problems and feelings and emotions that he's experiencing internally and then also with regards to you know the woman's genitals the fact that they have you know in some way well during pregnancy uh, during birth obviously they're going to change because they swell and, and they get really quite big um so you know blaming the woman's genitals and and the fact that now that they've seen that it's not something that they can move on from Um, And with the right support, like I say, for somatic experiencing, processing and working through that will allow them to leave that initial trauma response of not having the desire. But then it's about reconnecting to that sense of desire. And obviously that's where, you know, myself or even yourself can imagine that, you know, you work with men as well, connecting, reconnecting to that desire. Um, So finding ways to be able to support them through that um, you know, really gentle ways, gentle ways on their body. So, you know, learning how to reconnect to their partner. Um something that I really, really absolutely value is um, oh gosh, her name's just um, Betty Martin, that's it. Her um work. So um the three minute game, I think with nearly all of the people that come to me that are in a relationship, you know, I encourage them to to watch the video of that because it just removes any sexual um Um, any way of approaching intimacy that's that's sexual in any way and it's excellent in being able to receive a no learning to receive a no is not about you it's about what the other person wants or doesn't want and it teaches you how to ask the things as well and and state your own needs so I suggest if people feel ready for that because sometimes they're not always immediately ready for it Um, suggest if they're ready for it to explore that in a completely non-sexual way to take any idea of sex off the table and let's you know reclaim that intimacy and you know from the side of the the woman intimacy can not necessarily be physical as we were saying before about being um, touched out but could just be being able to talk about how she feels and not have it fixed so just being able to express her feelings and her emotions and you know for the man to listen and get curious so you know so you know why do you feel like that and whereabouts do you feel that in your body and just showing a genuine interest and if they don't know what question to ask a simple mirroring exercise you know so they say something and you just mirror it back to them so basically repeating it almost word for word or the words that they use and that's so validating you know when Um, I, I found it really difficult during the birth when, you know, you weren't there and you weren't supporting me. And then the man replies, you found it really difficult during the birth when I wasn't there to, to support, you know, you didn't feel I was supporting you. So those exercises in themselves can really, yeah, feel heard as, as a mother, but also, and this is something that I'm, you know, working with the mothers, that when the man wants to talk, you know, mirroring back. And I think, The problem that we have as women um, is that we really like to fire lots of questions um, because as women, when we get asked a question, we immediately know our emotions and we just let it all out. We just talk about it. And the problem is, obviously, for, for men, they haven't always been given that space. So sometimes they just need a moment or two to think, hang on a minute, what am I actually feeling? So, um, you know, in the groups that I've been into, it's a case of, okay, ask the question, leave some space and then wait for a reply because they will tell you at some point. And, you know, and I find when I coach men one-to-one, I need to ask a question and wait a moment for them to reply. Whereas with women, they're telling me before I've even asked the question, how they feel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a strategy that I've shared with just people in general, couples in particular is... Um, is that like the tendency for, um, yeah, for women to get essentially like excited that their partner's sharing, right? And so there's that eagerness to like, oh, I want to know more. I want to ask more questions, which is a lovely thing to want. But for a lot of guys, that can feel a little bit overwhelming because they're not, able to access like what it is they want to share as quickly as maybe those questions are being fired at them. So, um, so yeah, creating that little bit of uh, like verbal space or linguistic or conversational space is a really powerful. um, I think there's, I don't know who it is, but someone has like the 30 second rule, like count to 30 seconds. And if they, share you know before that great if they don't share within 30 seconds count to another 30 seconds right and then just um you know from that one minute mark then say okay cool if nothing's coming up for you like you know let's let's move on um yeah i love that and and the reason i asked about desire as well because i've shared this on a couple of different podcasts already is because that's something that i personally uh had to navigate was my um change in desire for like specific or explicit like sexual activity. I still like desired those cuddles and those hugs and intimacy, but like explicitly sexual um, touch and and explicitly sexual intimacy was something that I found it difficult to kind of stoke that fire for. And I did a bit of research and I found that, something that's uh, a very common phenomenon is for testosterone levels in men to to drop drop. after birth. Yeah. And so there's, and
1: prolactin rises. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so there's, there's like, um, evolutionary biological explanations for that. There's like hormonal explanations, but like, that's just, it tends to be an experience that, that happens for a lot of new fathers. And, um, like, I mean, just as a side note, like one of the reasons why people believe that this is, uh, thing that happens is because the lower testosterone allows the the father to be more present and more nurturing and not necessarily, you know, desiring to have more sex or desiring to go out and do something like physical. It's, it's, um, a way to kind of keep the, the, the mate around from an evolutionary biological perspective. That's not the whole story though. That's just like a little sidebar. Um, but yeah, so that's something that I, I definitely noticed as well with myself and speaking to other new dads as well. Um, that, that was kind of like, shared back to me is like, oh yeah, I did notice like maybe a little bit feeling a little bit tired, a little bit, you know, depleted, not really sure why. Um, and, um, and yeah, so that, that, that low testosterone is linked to a lot of things like some anxiety and some, you know, depressive symptoms and, you know, feelings of fatigue, like for a lot of guys lower, lowered, not necessarily clinically low, but just lower testosterone does have an impact on their mood and other things like that. So, um, there? So I'm wondering like, you know, there's a hormonal perspective to, to kind of bring in there as well. That's, I guess, important to educate around,
1: um, yeah and i think if i'm not mistaken as well when there's lower testosterone it makes it easy to access oxytocin um so if men aren't able to get those cuddles because obviously it's the it's the skin-to-skin contact and the human contact that helps release oxytocin if they're not able to to have those needs met then obviously yeah they will feel the results from from lower testosterone so you know seeking out um you know post-birth contact with somebody physical contact and just having a hug and you know because and this is one of the problems in a way that as a society we've created that men don't that men aren't allowed to ask for a hug from another man you know um and that's such a shame because it would just be so supportive after met after birth for men to have access to that and to be able to to keep their own um their own bodies with a feeling of safety so Yeah, thanks for sharing that, the the, the hormone part of
0: it as well. Yeah, no worries. I think there was like this really um, interesting study that showed um, or it like researched the way that the new fathers interacted with their children, like if it was a um, like really playful and um, uh, like if the interaction was like really happy and the baby was like, you know, uh, cooing and, you know, laughing and things like that versus like if the interaction was, you know, the baby was crying and the dad was having to soothe or was having to interact in a way that's a little bit more stressful, that testosterone was higher after those interactions that were stressful for him, um, where the baby was crying, for example, um, and testosterone was lower immediately after... The interactions where the baby and the, the situation was more playful, um, which is quite quite interesting. And you're right. The the other thing they s- studied was oxytocin, and it was obviously the the inverse. So oxytocin was higher when they were able to like play with their their little newborn and things like that, which is yeah super fascinating and um, yeah just a really cool area of research that I'm definitely going to do a bit more study into because um, I want to bring it into my work. Um, I'm just um, wanting to also uh, you know something you mentioned at the beginning was. Um, in a child work, I suppose, or like the, how like these traumatic experiences and, you know, the, the thing that comes through firstly, as I say, traumatic experiences is, it's the, the term vicarious trauma like comes to mind and I'm wondering, is is it vicarious trauma? Is that like how we would classify, you know, what's going on for, for these dads?
1: Um. Well, the thing is, it's a, it's a case of your brain isn't aware of what is actually real and what isn't. You know, if, if your body is receiving signals of a situation of stress, it doesn't matter if the stress is on you as the individual or on somebody else. It's being, you know, present and witnessing it that can be just as impactful as as actually receiving that. Um, and I experienced that myself recently, well, recently a couple of years ago. Um, a call that I was on got hacked. And there was nothing that happened to me personally, but the things that were that I witnessed, I actually had a trauma response from that. First of all, went into shock. And then afterwards, my whole body shook and just, you know, bowel movements. And, and so I my brain didn't realize that I wasn't the one experiencing the trauma, For my brain, I I did actually experience the trauma. So, um, and I think that's really important to, to make people aware of just because, you know, you, people have this idea as well, that trauma needs to be something really quite significant, like a really big event. And I don't think it needs to be, it's just how your nervous system in that moment decides to behave, you know, because for a child falling off a bike, might not be a traumatic event for another child it might be and also like you know i was saying before it's how that child is supported after they fall off the bike so do they fall off they're okay and they get on with their lives so they fall off and have a cry and um, are dismissed as in you know don't cry it will be okay you only fell off your bike which is more likely to create a trauma response in the nervous system because they're not given the pro the ability to process it or do you, would you like a hug? Do you want me to give you a cuddle and allow the tears to flow? Which then, you know, moves the child's nervous system on from it being a potentially traumatic experience. So, yeah, so I think it's really, um, it's really important to, to be aware that it doesn't mean that there's any sort of deficiency or problem with you as a, as a human being. If you experience something as trauma, it's an automatic thing that your body does. And it's been created like that for, for purposes of survival. Um, and then referring to um, your question about the inner child. So what I tend to, to notice in the way that men behave when they become parents is very much how they would behave as children um, in response to their um, environment. So, you know, we have one um, way is that the men tend to overcompensate for um, for, for their partner. So the, the fact that they don't feel um confident as a father they will try everything possible to to make the partner happy and they will allow themselves to be spoken in ways that aren't you know so so pleasant they will lose all sense of boundaries they'll self-abandon they will try and do anything to make the their partner feel better um they will apologize for things that they didn't really do wrong um and um in a way you know they become sort of emasculated let's say they become like um almost a shell of their former selves um and you know if I'm going to be honest this is the dynamic that my husband and I found ourselves in you know I became hypercritical finger pointing um yeah all of that and you know I own that one of the reasons being is because the men that I work with then I can talk about my experience and why I did it not justifying it but to say and I understand why you might be feeling like that it makes total sense, so and I think that supports them in feeling heard because if I can own it and talk about it, um it feels less like them versus us, which I think sometimes we can get when we talk about mothers and fathers and, and who needs support so um so yeah, so I, I always hold my hand up to the fact that 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 was the the person that I had become um and then the second one is um withdrawal. And I have recently started reaching out to businesses around that. So um, I go to local women's networking groups and started talking about presenteeism. So what that is, is when men will work longer hours or, you know, they will go in on their days off and they are trying to avoid going home. And you'll find, you know, a lot of very successful men in their 40s, late 40s, early 50s, all of a sudden getting divorced and they just don't know how it happened. And, you know, they have, ex, you know, excelled on their career because they've been there and they've been very, very present, but they've completely avoided any um, problems that they've been experienced at home. And if they are at home, they will do at-home presenteeism, which is, you know, they will go to another part of the house, completely withdraw, and try and avoid being present at all in or with the family. Then the third way of behaving is um, what some men will do is – Like any, um, let me just think of the best way to say this. Any attention is good attention. So because they crave so much the attention of their partner and wanting them to interact in some way, they will be passive aggressive, use derogatory comments, you know, they, because they feel frustrated that they're not involved in the parenting, because a lot of women tend to just read all the information and then make a decision rather than read all the information this is what I've read. What do you think? Giving the men space to be involved and then making a decision together. Fortunately, in a lot of situations, it doesn't happen like that. Um, and, you know, as a mother, I didn't do that. I read it all and I just decided what we were going to do. Um, so supporting a man and helping him to be involved with that um, so that he's getting the attention. And this is for all three different types of men. So talking about the third man, he will obviously be passive aggressive. Um, derogatory because he's looking for any interaction from his partner. And if you think about those three different ways of behavior, they are the way that children behave in situations, you know, the fawning response, you know, those children that will do anything to please their parents. You know, um, they're always the best children, the really, really well-behaved children. Then you've got the ones that are withdrawal, so the ones that really, really want to pull away, you know, they sit in their room, they don't express their emotions, they stay out of the way. And then the third one is the one that frequently throws tantrums and gets aggressive and might be the child that pushes other children because, you know, there's an internal part of them that wants to be seen. Um, So, you know, in the coaching that I do working with men, um, we connect to that inner child. We listen to the inner child and how they have been showing up in their relationship. Um, And because of the the coaching um, method that I use is parts work. We look at um, an empowering piece, so we we find within them a part that can be empowered, that can be the one that moves the the direction of the relationship through in an adult way. So, giving the inner child a special place where they can play with inside themselves, but allowing um, this new empowered part to be the one that makes the decisions in the relationship moving forward and in in their in their own behavior.
0: Mm, very cool. I um. I appreciate you speaking into those three uh, experiences because if I'm totally honest, I probably have cycled through all of them. Um, You know, my, my, uh, like I think I shared this on a podcast recently, Um, you know, our uh, midwife who had like, and she came for eight weeks after the the birth of our son. Um, She came once a week for eight weeks. And on the eighth week, um, she said to us, she was like, Cam, you haven't sat down with us for once during these sessions. Um, You've been washing the dishes. You've been doing laundry. You've been making food. You've been doing something in the house. You haven't been like sitting with us. And kind of my like response is, well, I got to do it. I got to do this. I got to make sure this is happening. I got to make sure baby and mum are all right. And it's kind of like doing that, like um, that kind of first uh, child response, right? Of like, I've got to do the things and make sure that everyone, um, you know, Likes me, right, and and make sure that I'm contributing in some sort of way, uh, and so um, it was really good to to process that with um, our midwife during the the kind of first uh, or the the last, sorry, uh, session that we did. Um,
1: and can I just interrupt there? That is yeah. a really good midwife that she noticed that because I don't think all health professionals take note of how the relationship, you know, yeah, how present or not present the man is, and I think that's really great that in a way she, I don't know if called you out is the right word, but brought that to your, your attention. So I just want to say that she sounds like a really great midwife.
0: Laura she is fantastic. And she's one of the best down here in the Southwest of Western Australia. Um, the other, uh, and then, and so, so the, the next thing I have noticed after that, right. Is, um, okay. I kind of process that work through that, feel good about it. And then like the next. Uh, inner child showed up, which was um, presenteeism, right? And so I work from home um, and I work in a separate part of the house in a home office, but I do have a tendency to work and overwork, I would say. And that's been a tendency I've had my whole life, but I definitely have noticed it now, um, maybe maybe it hasn't changed the amount of hours that I've worked, but the, the awareness that I have of it of like, oh shit, I'm working now and I should be, or I feel like I should be, you know, with my partner, with my son. Um, And so we've had conversations, my partner and I, about like, okay, these are working hours. I need to, you know, set these aside so that I don't feel like when I'm trying to be present with my partner, with my son, I'm thinking about work or I'm doing, you know, something in my head with regards to work. So that's been, that was relatively easy to navigate. Um, And I feel like it's just going to be an ongoing story for me personally in my life, because I love to work. I just love what I do. Um, But then uh, the third- um, the third inner child, which was- um,
1: Passive, aggressive. Right. Passive,
0: yeah. Yeah. This is something that I've noticed more recently for me. And, and um, now I wouldn't say that I'm being derogatory towards my partner, but what I have noticed is that I will, um, like I bug her, right? I just like press little buttons and like I know that I, I wind her up and it's um, that's been part of our whole relationship because that's what I do. Um, and so I just am trying to be more mindful of it. But I, I have noticed that, oh, I do want to just get like a little reaction out of her, or just get like a little bit of. And it's you're right, it's, it's, I want attention and it's, I want some connection, you know? Um, and so we've, we've chatted about that as well. And it's something that I'm actively working on is like, okay, if I'm noticing that there's that like little niggle and that frustration that I want to just like express towards her, just catch that and be like, why do I want to do this? What's coming up for me right now? Okay, I want. So I will want to talk. I want to have some sort of um, you know intimacy or connection or, or some sort of like you know uh, I want to feel like we're partners, right? I want to feel like we're we're in a relationship. And so the way that we've navigated through that is going on walks together with our son. So we put him in the pram and we have we don't take our phones and we just talk and we just are allowed to bring up whatever it is that we want to bring up. We you know whatever we just saw in the fucking news that day or whatever gossip is happening within our friend group, right? Where it's just an opportunity to like have that connection. Um, which we used to do all the time. We used to have conversations and go out for coffees and things all the time, but which we can't really do as much now. Uh, and so that's been really lovely to um, to kind of name for me at least anyway. Um, and, and then for us to acknowledge that in the relationship and then do something about it, it feels really good. Um, so yeah, it was just interesting that you naming all those three things. And I was like, oh, I think I've cycled, you know, <laughs> chronologically through those things. Um, and so I'm wondering like, you know, if that's been my experience, I, I presume it would be for other men as well, that it wouldn't just be like exclusively this. It may it might be for some men, but it might be like all, all three sharp in some way or another.
1: Yeah. So, first of all, I just want to say, um, and I said this to you before, Cam, because like, how old are you? 27, 28?
0: Yeah, I think I'm turning 29 this year. So, I'm 28, <laughs> yeah, I think. I forget.
1: Right, okay. you like, oh my goodness. Yeah, like when I was your age, um, you know, I was wounding myself and everybody else around me so your self-awareness I just find absolutely fascinating you you know that you're like well you don't know how old you are but (laughs) around the age of 28 29 that that you have that self-awareness because um and I just wanted to say because you know any men that are listening that don't have that self-awareness um a lot of the people that find me don't have it either so I just you know because I think sometimes people might be um um they're listening to what you're saying, Cam, and they go, oh gosh, yes, that's me. But the fact that they don't have that same sense of, of, of self-awareness, they feel maybe shame or guilt for not having that. So I just want to make people aware that it's really quite common for a lot of people not to have that self-awareness. And especially the people that are coming for coaching, you know, um the idea of the inner child or or noticing certain patterns of their own behavior is 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 is, is mind-blowing because people tend to think that the reason that they behave in a certain way isn't anything related to themselves but the other person in front of them or the other people around them or their environment is determining their behavior um so so yeah so for me a lot of it's educating around that so and i so i just wanted to 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 say that in case people are listening and thinking oh my gosh i'm nowhere near as self-aware as cam is that yeah you don't you don't need to be part of the process of coaching is obviously working towards because having that sense of awareness and returning to the question regarding the inner child um you know the inner child isn't just one behavior or, or one way of happening or being you know um because it youth parts work which is also known as like sub-personalities you can get in children that have created different ways of behaving, behaving from various different points in in your life, and which in a child, you know, takes precedent in any moment, you know, um, can, can is something that needs to be explored. So, you know, it might be when they were five, how they were spoken to and treated to when they, in the inverted commas, did something wrong. Maybe they were just exploring their environment, really curious. You know they're getting all of the flour out of the cupboard because they want to bake like they saw their mother, and they get told that they're naughty, you know, and that will create within them a, a little sub personality that then creates a certain type of pattern and behavior. Um, because you know they don't trust what they can and what they can't do. Because I'm helping mummy by by doing the baking, and I'm getting told off by mummy for, for that, so you know, the create an element of not trusting yourself because you have that experience as an example. And, you know, these subpersonalities, so you have the inner child, but these subpersonalities can can be formed at various points in our lives, even as adults. You know, our reaction to situation can create um, subpersonalities, especially as we're navigating our teenage years and, and our 20s, when we first really start coming even further out of the home and we start to have these interactions with with other people in, you know, romantic and sexual ways that can really affect how we show up in relationships. You know, creating, we're constantly sort of programming ourselves for the future. Um, and, you know, what's great about subpersonality parts work or inner child work is tapping into and understanding what the current programming is and then finding a way to create a new narrative, you know, not letting that part have so much um So much of a determining factor in your future, you know, creating or accessing even um, another part of yourself, the part that feels empowered. Because, you know, we've all been in um, a situation where we needed to make a decision on something. And we say, well, one part of me wants to do X, and the other part of me wants to do Y. And this is where we have the parts. And it's bringing awareness to, well, the part that wants to do X where's that coming from is are there any fears there you know um what, what's the reason for that behavior and that pattern and then the part that wants to choose why asking the same questions so be getting really really curious and also you know as you were talking something that um came to me was with self-awareness is frequently asking yourself what am I making this mean so you know when something happens with with your partner um and maybe she speaks to you In a particular way, because maybe she's tired, and you know, you withdraw potentially, or you know, you fawn. So, try over please that reaction. Just before you have that reaction, there's going to be some very quick thought about what you're making that situation mean. And what I mean is what you're making that situation mean about yourself, your value. Um, whether or not maybe it's, do I, I don't feel considered. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like I'm good enough. And noticing what that story is that you're, that you're creating. So a lot of um, the work that I do is bringing awareness to people. And quite often I will create screen, um, lock screen things. What, what do you call the things for the phone? The home screen locks?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's a home screen or a lock screen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't think of the word. So so I create those for them to put on the phone with a simple question, what am I making this mean? Um, So that they can can constantly be checking in with themselves. How, how, how am I reacting to that particular situation? What is that situation saying about my own patterns that I've created the way that I behave in a situation?
0: Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, I might even employ that uh, strategy of putting it on my home screen just over my son's face um, because a, a story that I get is uh, or that that, I, that triggers for me is if my son's crying or if he you know, doesn't want to give me a hug or whatever it is, right? It's, there's random little things. I'll be like, oh, I'm a shit dad. Right. And it's a story that pops up. And I'm I know I've spoken to my partner, I've spoken to a lot of other parents, that it's a story that pops up for mums, for dads, for people in general, but it's just like there, you know? And I'm like, why? Why is that there? He's done nothing wrong. Like it's my shit. Why is that getting triggered? It's just very interesting that I I, I noticed that. Um yeah, and, and that, you know it's tied into self-worth. It's tied into like I I'm not enough. I'm you know, I think there's a story of like I'm not a man enough or, you know, there's, there's this, this self doubt and, and imposter syndrome and stuff. That's all wrapped up in there, but it's definitely like, now that I'm a dad, like I, I notice it pop up. Oh, I'm a shit dad. Like, Oh, I've done something wrong as a dad. Like it's yeah, just very present. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to start to de well unpack and like, you know, just um, let go of the power of that story. Cause it's, it's, it's only going to be detrimental, I suppose.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's really good as well to if you have the opportunity and time in that moment or to return to it later to journal. And, and you know, so what what did I make that mean? And just um, do a type of journaling where you literally just write down so you don't think, overthink too much, but just, you know, set a timer for five minutes and just write down everything that comes to you around it. Um, and giving your, that, yourself that space to, to think and explore can really bring up some things that you hadn't considered and the reason that I set, say set a timer so that you're not constantly being distracted to see how long you've got left so you can fully immerse yourself in the activity um, and you'll be surprised um, you know because I do that sometimes on some things and I just can't get to the bottom of it like why 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 do I feel like this about something um, and I've got actually um something on, on my wall at the moment that I am cu- currently working through so once I find what the um what the issue is or the problem I create an affirmation that I look at frequently and I notice with the affirmation because the thing is with affirmations you know just saying it isn't always enough but also listening to the body so when I say the affirmation how how am I experiencing my body does and you know not everyone can experience emotions very well in the body, but how's my posture feeling? Do I feel like I need to sort of punch my shoulders and bend over slightly or you know and that can give so much of a cue on how we feel about ourselves in that particular way so um yeah, journaling finding the sort of the the theme from from the journaling, creating an affirmation and working with that and and being with that and I actually got that from um. Christopher Wallace actually um oh, yeah, Tantra cool. illuminated yeah nice Harish, <laughs> so, yeah and i found that's fantastic
0: that's i i love that idea as well of creating an affirmation right of like and 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 more so than that i love the idea of like letting the affirmation land in your body like what does it actually feel like and that's something that i've employed with like a lot of the clients that i work with it's like okay let's um, let's create a scenario where you can tune into how that actually physically feels for you, because a lot of a lot of the guys that I work with, and I'm sure you you know you know this as well, is that they can get wrapped up in like their head, you know, um, and just like it's just a very heady intellectual experience for them. And it's like, okay, man, we're just gonna you know take that from your head and like into your body and and just tune into like how that actually feels. And I, I share with them like a feelings and sensation wheel, and it's you know got all these different um, physical responses and it kind of ties them to feelings. So it's like if they're like tapping their foot, right? Or if they're like really feeling constricted and tense through the chest, it's like, you know it helps them, um, just gives them some vocabulary, I suppose. Like, oh, that's what this could be a symptom of is like this feeling of frustration or this feeling of grief or this feeling of whatever. Um, I find that a, a useful strategy for for guys. Um, Carla, I'm mindful of time um, and we're, we're both parents. So I recognize that there's, um, you know, uh, children to attend to. Um, and so I wanted to maybe uh, close down the, the conversation with, um, you know, for, for, for people that are, you know, in that scenario that you were talking about before seven years, no, no physical sexual intimacy, uh, you know, they're almost like at breaking point, I suppose, where there's, uh, they maybe they, they feel that disconnection is a bit insurmountable they they're weighing up the possibility of a divorce like where do they start with that maybe they they you know maybe they they're not able to to reach out to a coach right now or they're not able to do work with someone right now uh, for whatever reason what's what's something they might be able to do at home that that could start to mend you know where where the situation is
1: okay so um the the two main things i would say are first of all Looking at boundaries, so doing research on what boundaries are, because not everyone actually knows what boundaries are. And um, one of the things that comes up for a lot of people when they're first introduced to boundaries is thinking about myself is selfish. So um, being really, really clear on boundaries, um, especially you know, um, if people find themselves in the mother and son dynamic that my husband and I found ourselves in, um, you know, what my husband, if he w- had been the instigator of change, what he could have done is have more boundaries with the way that I spoke to him um so um so I would definitely say that boundaries are the first thing and then um it seems really really simple but men just don't seem to to to, well a lot of people actually because women don't as well um what are your needs and what are your desires and you know so what are your needs sort of I need, um, you know, connection, I need quality time. So, and then being really, really clear on what it is that you actually want and then finding a way to get that, but learning how to to communicate with that. Um, So I would say that those are the two main principal things to actually know what you need to start tuning into yourself, you know, um, and being aware of when there's a situation and it takes you to reacting in one of the three ways that I talked about, bringing that question back to what am I making this mean? Um, and, you know, when we come to the fawning aspect, so, you know, really, really helping around the house and doing things, I'm not saying not to do that, but be mindful of why you're doing it. You know, how, what's, what's the reason for, for maybe overcompensating or apologizing all the time, you know, um, especially if you're being told that you're always not doing it right. So just being mindful of, you know, what it is that you're trying to to achieve by the behavior that you're employing and coming back and and trying to to look inside yourself. Um, What am I making this mean? You know, the the journaling that we talked about um, and then creating an affirmation to support you in in rebuilding um, your sense of self, the, the, the authentic part of you, let's say.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all that. There's so much else that I wanted to dive in um, to with you, but uh, I digress. And and of course, if people do have the financial ability and the it's accessible to them, like work with someone like yourself as well. Like I think it's invaluable being able to speak to either a counselor or a coach or someone who just is knowledgeable and can offer like practical advice with regards to um, the situation that you're in. So I just want to emphasize that as well that it's there's definitely help out there as well. Um, some people I know feel like there's there's no help when they're in that situation, but there definitely is. Um, and I just want to say a big thank you as well for for taking the time uh, to, to sit down and, and just share some of your wisdom and your knowledge with me. And uh, I, I definitely learned some stuff. Uh, I always do when I, I speak to people like yourself. So thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to just continuing to learn from you as well and, and seeing you support other men in this space because it's so needed.
1: Thank you, Cam. Thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity to yeah to get the message out there and reach hopefully more men.
0: Mm, no problem. Hey there! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex, and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So, like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.